Chapter Eight of the Sorcery Club by Elliot O'Donnell. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Don W. Jenkins. Chapter Eight: Two Dreams. Do you believe in dreams? Gladys Martin inquired as, fresh from a stroll in the garden, she joined her aunt, Miss Templeton, in the breakfast room at Pine Cottage i believe in fairies miss templeton rejoined smiling indulgently as she looked at the fair face beside her what was the dream dearie gladys laughed a little mischievously i don't quite know whether i ought to tell you she said it might shock you perhaps i'm not so easily shocked as you imagine miss templeton replied what was it well gladys began flinging both arms round her aunt's neck and playing with the pleats in her blouse i dreamed that i was walking in the little wood at the end of the garden and that the trees and flowers walked and talked with me and we danced together and first of all i had for my partner a red rose and then an ash they both made love to me and squeezed my waist with their hot fibrous hands a poppy pipe a bramble played the concertina and a lilac grew desperately jealous of me and tried to claw my hair then the dancing ceased and i found myself in the midst of bluebells that shook their bells at me with loud trills of laughter and out from among them came a buttercup pointing its yellow head at me see see it cried what gladys is carrying behind her naughty gladys and the trees and flowers everything around me shook with laughter then i grew hot and cold all over and did not know which way to look for my confusion till a willow having compassion on me said take no notice of them they don't know any better i begged him to explain to me why they were so amused and he grew very embarrassed and uncomfortable and stammered oh so funnily well if you really wish to know it's a bud a baby white rose and it's clinging to your dress a baby a baby rose shrieked all the flowers and it means a bluebell said stepping perkily out from amidst its fellows that your lover is coming your lover with a tra -le la la and well if you want to know more ask the gooseberries and the gooseberries that hang on the bushes or the parsley that grows in the bed and at that all the flowers and trees shrieked with laughter ta-ta-tra-la-la and with my ears full of the rude laughter of the wood i awoke what do you think of it isn't it a rather quaint mixture of the of the sacred at least the artistic and the profane quite so said miss templeton with an amused chuckle but i shouldn't ask for an interpretation of it if i were you not for an interpretation of the trees and flowers gladys asked innocently i'm sure trees and flowers have a special significance in dreams very well then my dear ask mrs sprat what ask the vicar's wife gladys ejaculated when i never go to church certainly miss templeton replied laughing again mrs sprat will quite understand and i've always been told she is very interested in anything to do with the occult but hush here's your father you'd better not tell him your dream he's tired to death he says of hearing about your lovers and agrees with me there's no end to them never mind what he says 
his bark's worse than his bite gladys rejoined he doesn't really care how many i have so long as they keep within bounds and i like them father john martin who entered the room at that moment went straight to his daughter to be kissed i wish you wouldn't always select that bald spot he said testily i don't like to be everlastingly reminded i'm losing my hair where do you want me to kiss you then gladys argued on the tip of your nose that's all very well for you john martin but i prefer the top of your head but the poor dear looks worried what is it i didn't have a very good night her father replied i dreamed a lot gladys looked at miss templeton and laughed did you she said gently what a shame i never dream what was it all about flowers john martin snapped idiotic flowers roses lilac tulips bah i do wish you would have some other hobby gladys looked at her aunt again this time with a half serious half questioning expression shall i be a politician she cooed and fill the house with suffragettes you bad man i believe you would revel in it don't you think so auntie i think instead of teasing your father so unmercifully you had better pour him out a cup of tea miss templeton replied jack there's a letter for you or under my plate what a place to put it that's you and john martin frowned or rather attempted to frown at gladys why it's about davenport dick davenport he's very ill had a stroke yesterday and the doctor declares his condition critical his nephew shiel so anne says has been sent for and arrived at sydenham last night if that's not bad news i don't know what is john martin said thrusting his plate away from him and leaning back in his chair it's true i can manage the business all right myself and there's the possibility of course that this young shiel may shape all right i suppose if anything happens he will step into dick's shoes i've never heard dick mention anyone else poor old dick i am so sorry father gladys said laying her hand on his but cheer up he may not be as bad as you expect shall you go and see how he is i think so my dear i think so john martin replied but don't worry me about it now talk to your aunt and leave me out of it i'm a bit upset my brain's in a regular whirl undoubtedly the news was something in the nature of a blow for dick davenport apart from being john martin's partner partner in the firm of martin and davenport the world-renowned conjurers whose hall in the kingsway was one of the chief amusement places in london was john martin's oldest friend they had been chums at cheltenham college and entered the army and gone to india together had quitted the service together and on returning together to england had started their conjuring business first of all in sloane street and subsequently in the kingsway from the very start their enterprise had met with success and had it not been for davenport's wild extravagance they would have been little short of millionaires but davenport though a most lovable character in every respect could not keep money he no sooner had it than it was gone his house in sydenham was little short of a palace whilst it was said he almost rivalled royalty in magnificent display whenever he entertained the result of all this reckless expenditure was no uncommon one 
he ran through considerably more than he earned and as there was no one else to help him he invariably came down on john martin it was jack old boy i'm damned sorry but i must have another thousand or jack these infernal scamps of creditors are worrying the life out of me can you will you lend me a trifle a couple of thousand will do it and so on so on ad infinitum john martin never refused and at the time of davenport's illness the latter owed him something like a hundred thousand pounds fortunately john martin though far from parsimonious was careful he had an excellent business head and thanks to his sagacious share in the management the business remained solvent he knew davenport's capacity that nowhere could he have found another such a brilliant genius in conjuring nor apart from his thriftlessness anyone so thoroughly reliable in davenport's keeping all the great tricks they had invented and great tricks they undoubtedly were were absolutely safe despite the fact that they had repeatedly offered big sums of money to anyone who could discover the secret of how they were done every attempt to do so had utterly failed the mysteries of martin and davenport's home of wonder in the kingsway baffled the world of course one thing had helped them enormously namely they had no rivals so colossal was their reputation that no one else had ever even thought of setting up in opposition and now one of the two great master-minds that had accomplished all these marvels and acquired such universal fame was stricken down checkmated by the still greater power of nature and his colleague the only other man in existence who shared his knowledge was obliged to rack his brain as to what was now to be done done for the continuance and prosperity of the firm after finishing her breakfast gladys joined her aunt in the garden to dream of flowers and trees evidently means bad news she said but as i feel in a mood for a walk i shall call at the vicarage what now at this hour miss templeton cried aghast why not gladys said imperturbably i'm not going to pay a call they haven't called on us i shall say i've merely come to make an inquiry can she tell me of any one who interprets dreams come with me but as her aunt pleaded an excuse gladys went alone the vicar was in the garden in his shirt-sleeves and though obviously surprised to see gladys seemed quite prepared to enter into conversation with her but gladys was not enamoured of clergymen her ways were not their ways and she had come strictly on business consequently she somewhat curtly demanded to be conducted into the presence of his wife who received her very affably why how very strange she observed when gladys had stated the object of her visit i was asked a similar question only yesterday a miss rosenberg who is staying with us had an extraordinary dream about trees and flowers only it took the form of a poem which she awoke repeating there were several verses quite doggerel it is true but nevertheless rather remarkable for a dream she wrote them down and asked me if i could tell her whether there was any hidden meaning in them here they are she handed gladys two pages of sermon paper on which was written in the greenest of green valleys aglow with summer sun lived a maiden fair and radiant more radiant there was none the flowers gave her their friendship her couch was on the ground a happier gayer maiden was nowhere to be found 
the air was filled with music sung by the babbling brook sweet lullabies with chorus clear in which the flowers partook the maiden knew not sorrow until an evil day when riding lone across the moors a hunter lost his way and chancing on this valley he met the maiden sweet her beauty overwhelmed him he fell lovesick at her feet despite the fervent warnings of her friends and flowers and trees she listened to his courting and with him roamed the lees the lees far from the valley they rode the livelong night till a heavy mist descending hid the roadway from their sight uprose then forms of evil from out the mocking gloom and seizing horse and hunter scared left the maiden to her doom travellers now within those regions through the nightly grey fog see a woman's shade crawl slow along to a ghastly melody and those who linger follow the phantom pale and wan o'er hill and dale and rill and vale it slowly leads them on on till they reach the valley a valley grim and drear where lurid things with fibrous arms their course through darkness steer and on the travellers palsied in frenzied crowd they pour and those who view their faces are heard but seen no more do you mean to say she dreamed all that gladys exclaimed yes the vicar's wife said she told me so and i have no reason to doubt her she doesn't romance as a rule and is certainly not the least bit in the world poetical on the contrary she is most practical and matter-of-fact her only hobby as far as i know is flowers mine too gladys interrupted were you able to explain the verses no i can't interpret dreams i'm intensely interested in them as i am in all things psychic i was at a lecture given by mrs annie besant last night she do you know anyone who does interpret dreams gladys asked why yes a firm claiming to do all sorts of wonderful things to tell dreams solve tricks divine the presence of metals and water and so on has just set up in cockspur street i read a short notice about them in this morning's paper i will get it for you she left the room and in a few moments returned here it is she said and under the heading of sorcery revived gladys read as follows there is really no end to the devices to which people resort nowadays to make money but for sheer novelty nothing we think beats this three americans messieurs hamar kelson and curtis fresh from san francisco california have just bought premises in cockspur street southwest and set up there as sorcerers they style themselves the modern sorcery company limited and profess to interpret dreams read people's thoughts tell their past solve all manner of tricks and detect the presence of metals and water one wonders what next the paper evidently has its doubts gladys commented they are frauds of course i dare say they are the vicar's wife replied though i believe in thought reading and other things they say they can do i advised miss rosenberg to see them about her dream she went in by the nine o'clock train had you come a few minutes earlier you would have seen her well thanks awfully gladys said for telling me about these people very probably i'll go into town some time during the day and call it cockspur street i must apologize again for calling at such an unearthly hour good-bye 
and gladys smilingly took her departure end of chapter eight read by don w jenkins rancho san diego california